to give. In fact, they insisted on giving. They wanted to be a part of the ministry, and so they gave sacrificially. And he wanted to use, he was using them as an example to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians were in a little bit of a more, a better situation. They, they had more money, they had, they didn't have to worry about persecution, they were doing a little bit better than the Macedonian church. And he was trying to say to those guys, guys, you need to partake in this same level of giving. Except now, when we talk about the giving thing, remember now that Paul, when he talked about it, talked about it in terms of a grace. He did not talk about it in terms of an obligation. And remember, last time we spoke, we talked about how, for many of us, the issue of giving is a what? Obligation. And it's not necessarily something that we look forward to, right? And sometimes we are rather begrudging about our giving because it's like, you know, I've got this problem going on right now. You know, Lord, I'd rather deal with my problem than have to give or something. And so Paul's whole approach is completely different because he calls it a grace. Not a law, but a grace that God enables you to fulfill. Because remember, all grace comes from God. And so even the ability to give comes from God. Okay? So we're going to look at some more advice that he has to give them. So let's look, we're going to look in chapter 8 all the way up to uh, verse 5 of chapter 9 today. But let's look at that first section, uh, which would be verse 10 through 15 of chapter 8. So let's look and see what he has to say. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. But now you must also complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by equality that now, at this time, your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathers much has nothing left over, and he who gathers little has no lack. So let's talk about some different things here about that Paul wants to remind them of. Okay? First thing, Paul reminds the Corinthians of a prior commitment to give. He's basically saying to them, guys, a year ago, you had made a commitment to give to this cause. Now remember, what we're talking about giving to here is the church in Jerusalem was facing some dire consequences. Famine was taken over. And they were facing some really harsh, difficult circumstances. And the churches in Asia Minor were gathering a collection to help the church in Jerusalem. And so as this news came about, Paul's reminding them that a year before this letter was written, that they had made a commitment of some sort, whatever amount, they had made a commitment to help out the church in Jerusalem. And so what he's doing here in verse 10 is is he's reminding the Corinthians of their prior commitment. He's telling them, guys, you made a prior commitment to help them out. So I want to remind you of that. And so then in verse 11 then, he says he encourages them to complete the task 
that they set out to do. So his encouragement to them is, guys, follow through on what you committed to. Follow through on what you committed to. And so complete what you committed. Now there's a point here I want you to understand. And this is the point you see throughout the scripture. Don't make a commitment if you don't intend to keep it. Don't make a commitment unless you intend to keep it. And that's, that's basically what you see throughout the Bible. That's why Jesus says don't make oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so don't make a commitment unless you intend to keep it. And look, we live in a day and age today where commitments are a big thing in church, especially if there's a major capital project that needs to happen. Let's say you need to build a new building or renovate a building or something. And a lot of times churches will do this. They'll get into a fundraising thing and they'll make, they'll have you sit down and make a commitment to give so much money to the capital project over a certain number of years. Can I be honest with you? In the moment of, you know, especially, and here's one of the things they'll do. They'll have a, a dinner, big spread, you know, and present it to you, and you're feeling really good from eating, and, you know, and they'll give you the spiel of what they want to do and what they want to build or whatever, and then they'll give you a card and you fill out the card. Look, don't take it lightly. Because the implication of the scripture is, is when you make a commitment, you've got to follow through on it. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling them. He's saying, guys, you made a commitment the year before to help out. And what he's implying is, is that they haven't been fulfilling their commitment. And so he wants them to, what? Fulfill their commitment, bring to completion what they said they would do. Bring to completion what they said they would do. And so in verse 12 then, he gives them a standard of giving. He gives them a standard by which they can judge their giving and so forth. And so here's what he said. Paul is not telling them to give what the Macedonians gave. He's not telling them to give what the Macedonians gave. Now why do you think he's not telling them to give what the Macedonians gave? Remember the Macedonians in their situation, and they gave out of their poverty, sacrificially. Why do you think he's telling, not telling them to give as the Macedonians give? Because remember, they're a little bit more affluent. They have a little bit more money. Why do you think he's telling them not to give what the Macedonians give? They could probably give more. You know, it might be just a drop in a bucket to what they could give. Do you know what I'm saying? It could be a drop in a bucket. You know, so his whole point is, guys, it's not the dollar amount. It's not the dollar amount. See, what I want you to understand, when it comes to your giving, the issue always with giving is not the a dollar amount. Remember Jesus when he was in the temple and he saw all the people coming and they were bringing their offerings and he saw the widow come and she laid down her mites and he said that this woman has given more than any of the rest of these? Now that was a shocking statement to everybody in the temple because everybody in the temple was looking at how big the check was that so-and-so laid in there. And she came and put in two pennies. What was it that Jesus said You guys remember the story? What was it that Jesus said was important about her gift compared to everyone else's gift? 
Yeah, she gave all she had. The others gave out of their abundance. The others gave out of their abundance. See, here's something we, we've got to remember. Sometimes, we oftentimes, and there's this tendency, whether we're human beings, aren't we? Everybody recognize we're human beings? We all bleed red here. And we have that same tendency to do the same thing. Where what we'll do is, is we'll look and say, oh, well, there's a businessman. And because we probably, you know, he gives, and every time there's a project, he gives, and everything. We have a tendency to lift the businessman up, don't we? Because he's a major giver. But reality is, can I tell you this is what statistics show? Do you know who gives more percentage-wise? Yeah, the poor. But we would never lift up the poor, would we? Because the guy who's got it is only given out of his abundance. He's not giving sacrificially. Do you see my point? See, what Jesus is looking at is, and this is the point he's making to the Macedonians, he says, don't give what they gave. Don't give the amount they give. But give as they gave, meaning sacrificially. So here's my next point. Rather, he's asking them to give proportionately to what they have. Give proportionately to what they have. He's saying, guys, just as the Macedonians sacrificed and gave up for the church in Jerusalem to help out those needy people in Jerusalem, you now, in your abundance, give sacrificially. How much more greater would your gift be if you gave at the same level of giving? Not the same amount, but at the same level of giving. Sacrificially. Trusting God to provide your needs, even though things are hard right now. Even though things are hard right now. So, he's presenting to them a standard of giving. You know, the issue for you and I, how do we, how, okay, how do we apply that to our lives, George? The application to our lives is, is that you and I, it's not the, that I keep up with the Joneses in my amount of gift that I give. But rather that I give proportionately from what I have. So for some here, proportionately may mean a small amount. But for others, it may mean a greater amount. But the issue for both needs to be, it needs to be sacrificial. A sacrifice to God. Recognizing he'll take care of your needs. So then he gives a guiding principle in verses 13 through 15. And so I want you to notice what his principle is here. First of all, it's not a burden. Paul does not want them to be burdened so that others may have ease. He doesn't want them to be burdened so that others may have ease. He does not want them to be burdened so that others may have ease. So he doesn't want the issue of giving to be a burden. Remember, he described it earlier last week in those first nine verses as giving is a what? Grace. Now, is grace something that you and I see as a burden? Oh, I'm so burdened by the mercy of God. Is that how you see it? Grace is not a burden, is it? But for what we see giving as a burden, don't we? See, what Paul's trying to say is, he doesn't want them to be burdened by the concept of giving. It should be something that you and I are ready to do in the service of Christ. Let me just stop for a moment, because oftentimes when we think of giving, we only think in terms of giving with reference to what? 
the offering. The concept of giving in the New Testament is beyond the offering. Remember I shared this with you last week. It is looking and seeing within the congregation or within the body of Christ that maybe somebody else has a need and if you have the ability to give and sacrificially help so that you might ease someone else, you give. You give. See, when you look at Acts chapter 2 and you see the church at Jerusalem get saved, and then they start holding everything in common. Acts chapter 4 about how they would sell. So if someone saw a need, they would sell what they have to help others. It's not Christian communism. It's the concept of giving. Of being there for others. As I have the ability, if I have the ability to help Tom, then I'm going to help Tom. If I have the ability to help Art, then I'm going to help Art. And if Art has the ability to help Sue, then he'll help Sue. See, that's the biblical concept of giving, and it shouldn't be seen as a burden. That's the point he's making here. It shouldn't be seen as a burden. Next thing he says is this. Um, In their present abundance, they should help those in need. In their present abundance, they should help those in need. The guiding principle here is, again, that you don't allow it to be a burden, but if you have means right now, if you have the ability to give, Because there might be a time when you don't have the ability to give. Everybody recognize that? We all go through seasons, ebb and flows in life, don't we? Where we have abundance, and then there are times when we, what? Don't have abundance. But in those times when you do have abundance, for like for the Corinthians right now, they had abundance. But can I be honest with you, ten years down the road, they might have war in the area, and they might be in famine themselves. And so he's saying to them, guys, because right now things are going well for you, you have the ability. You have the ability to help out. So in your abundance, help out. You have the ability to help out. So here's what he says then. When they are in need, they who have abundance will help them. See, here's the principle. If I have the, if I have the funds, and I see the need, rather than saying, well, you know, I'm saving for my retirement. Hey, remember what the Scripture says, you may not live to retirement. Every day is what God gives you. But if you have the needs to help someone, so if I, I see that Sue's hurting, and so I help and with her need and help Sue in her time of need because I have abundance, maybe five years down the road when I have a need, Sue reciprocates it. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Sue reciprocates and says, you know, George was there when I was hurting. And he and Lori are going through it right now. I'm returning the favor. See, that's the guiding principle. The guiding principle of giving is as I give as I have abundance. Because I don't, you know, later on, then others will be there for me. But is that the concept that we have in giving? No. Now, we're governed by the, more by the culture than we are governed by the Bible. Because with the culture, culture says, you know, if you don't help yourself, nobody else will help you. You know, if you got it, you use it now, baby. It's for you. You know, and so that's, so much so, the, so the guiding principle here is, is that 
It's a matter of equality. So in their present abundance, they should help those in need. And when they're in need, those who have abundance will help them. So then he gives a scriptural principle here. We see it in verse 15. Paul uses the illustration of God giving manna in the wilderness. Verse 15, he gives the illustration, He who gathers much will had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So he's right here he's talking about, remember in the wilderness when Israel was in Sinai, they had just crossed over the Red Sea, and God provided for them every day their needs. And they were to go out and gather the manna. The, you know, the bread that came from heaven, they were to gather. And, 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 you know, if somebody gathered more than they needed, it still was all that they needed. And if someone gathered little, they had more than they needed. You know, they, they lacked nothing. It was, it was always their God provided. So that's what he's wanting to show is, is that when it comes to the issue of giving, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. Someone will say, well, you know, if I, if I help out, if I help out Sue, then what's there for me? Did you forget God who told you to help Sue will also take care of you? See, we've got our thinking in the wrong place. We've been thinking wrongly. We've been thinking in terms of me, myself, and I, the Holy Three. Isn't that true? But the fact of the matter is, you need to think outside of you and think in terms of what God wants. And God says, look, you know, you can't outgive me. If I, if I stir your heart to help someone else, do you think I'll not provide you with the resources to help them? Do you think? Do you think? So, what we see there then is that scriptural principle that he uses that. So, here's what he's saying. Paul uses this illustration, why? That they should ensure that there is an equality of needs among the churches. So that there is an equality. Why? Because the Macedonian church was giving out of their poverty. Here's the Corinthian church. They're just giving a little token. And he was wanting to present this to them so you have to understand, you know, guys, you need to be equal to the task so that we're all helping each other. All helping each other. All helping each other. You know, I think there's a reason. Can I be honest with you? We always hear the big 10% number. That you should give 10%. Okay. But I think if anyone is scholarly in their approach, and if anyone is sincere in their approach, they will tell you that 10% does not appear in the New Testament at all. 10% is not in the New Testament whatsoever. The issue of giving is in the New Testament. But now giving is not presented, in the Old Testament it was presented as an obligation. In the New Testament, it's presented as a what? A grace. Now, why do you think he doesn't present 10% in the New Testament? Why do you think God doesn't give us 10% in the New Testament? I want you to get your thinking caps on for a moment. Why do you think he doesn't give 10% in the New Testament? Wants us to give from love and not obligation. What were you going to say, Sue? Okay, he wants us to forget the law. Okay. All right, let me ask you something. Let's say Bill Gates came to our church here. 
43 billion dollars rich of him. Okay. 10% a sacrifice for Bill? I mean, 10%, that's 4.3 billion, you know. But is that a sacrifice? When you consider he's got another 39 sitting around. See, the issue in the New Testament is not 10%, the issue is sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? So for some, it might mean more than 10%. For others, the sacrifice might mean 3%. Like if you said, for instance, do you think the widow, when she gave her two mites, she was giving 10%? She was giving 100, wasn't she? See, that's what I'm saying. I think we need to remember what the guiding principles are that there should be an issue of equality among the churches. And the issue of equality that he's talking about is not that you give 10%. The issue that equality is that you give sacrificially. That you give sacrificially. That you give sacrificially to each other. Not just to the offering. Hey, I had a friend came to visit me. Some of you remember... Uh, Glenn Taylor, when he came here and did the Moose Seminar and then he shared on Sunday morning, Glenn reminded me of a scripture that uh, in the King James it talks about having a clear conscience but not being innocent. And you can have a clear conscience about your giving because you're, quote, giving what you need, quote, give, the 10%, whatever. But you may not be innocent. You say, what do you mean, George? Well, you may give here. And you may justify, well, Lord, I've given unto you here. But God may be stirring your heart to give to the guy next to you. Because you know the guy next to you is going through it and struggling. But you're sitting there with a clear conscience because you gave there. But you're not innocent because you didn't respond to God. Talk about your neighbor. You see the point? See, giving goes beyond here. See, I think, can I be honest with you? You say, George, aren't you scared that you're telling us to give to each other that that's going to decrease this? Because that's immediately what someone will say is, it's going to drop the offering here at the church. No, I'm not scared. Want to know why? Because when you experience the grace of giving to each other, this goes up. This goes up because you begin to experience God working in your life. And you begin to see God say, like he says in Malachi, opens the flood doors of heaven to meet your needs. See, you can have a clear conscience. I gave. But you may not be innocent because the guy next to you needed and you didn't help him. You didn't help him. He said, George, that's radical. Okay, well, think about it. As always, with anything I share with you, think about it. You study the Scriptures. Because I think what you'll see in the New Testament, that's the point he's making. That's the point he's making. So then now he wants to get into commending God's stewards. He wants to... 
share a little bit about God's stewards here. So look with me at verse 16 through 24. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praises is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. For if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and be show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and the boasting of, of our and of our boasting on your behalf. So now he's going to talk about some stewards of the finances. And so we're going to gain some insight here. Uh, because I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? Everybody knows there's the biblical office of pastor, correct? Everybody knows of the biblical office of elders, correct? Everybody knows of the biblical office of deacon, correct? Did you know there's a biblical office of treasurer? Did you know that? There is a biblical office of treasurer. It comes out of this passage. It comes out of 2 Corinthians. Because he'll talk about the type of person, we'll maybe even see it next week, the type of person you need to select to handle the funds in your midst. There is a biblical office of treasurer. Okay, so let's look. He's going to talk about God's stewards here. He's going to commend God's stewards, and so we're going to glean some things from this. First thing I want you to notice is this. Paul thanked God for the fact that Titus cared for the Corinthians. Now, Titus was his messenger. It was like he was like Timothy, another one of his spiritual sons, and that Paul would send to the Corinthians. And the wonderful thing about it is, is he didn't just send some heavy guy to squash them. He sent some guy to them that really genuinely was concerned for them, that really was had a heart for them, that loved them. Okay? So what we see there is, is that Paul thanked God for the fact that Titus cared for the Corinthians. Okay? Now let's go on. Paul points out that Titus went to them on his own volition. Now, why would that be important? Why would that be important that Titus went to them of his own volition? Why would that be important? He had a heart of service. Okay. Here, let me, let's say we belong to, uh, to a Baptist group. This church doesn't belong to a Baptist group. We're, we're just kind of by ourselves here. But let's say we belong to a Baptist group. And the Baptist group's head office decided to send somebody to us to help us out or maybe even straighten us up. What would you think about it if the guy they sent to you uh, to help you out or get you through your problem or whatever was told to come here versus maybe he came here because he had a heart for you, he wanted to help you, and he came on his own? How would you, how would you view one or the other? 
He didn't care. He's just a job. Okay? He's just here biding his time when he thinks everything. But if, if you know that he came on his own because he genuinely cared, what would you think about the guy then? Yeah, he's sincere. Would you listen to him? Would you be open to him? Yeah, see, that's the point that Paul's making here is that Titus wasn't just sent as a task-oriented, duty-oriented. He came of his own to them. Okay? He came on his own volition to them. Okay, so let's go on. Now, he wants to... There was, Not just was Titus, but there's another brother who's unnamed. The passage talks about another brother who's unnamed in verses 18 and 19. So then he's going to talk about this unnamed brother. He's going to first of all talk about his reputation. Titus was accompanied by a brother who was known by all the churches in the area. He had a good reputation. So Titus is accompanied by a brother in Christ. The scripture does not tell us who it is. But it does tell us that he had a good reputation. Okay? It doesn't tell us who it is, but it does tell us that he had a good reputation. And then here's what he tells us. Paul points out that the brother was chosen to accompany the gifts. This guy was given the specific duty of what? Handling what? The money. He was like the trustee to care over the money. Because I'll be honest with you. Think about it for a moment. They're in Greece and it's not like they could just hop on an airplane and be Jerusalem the next day. It was either walking by foot or if you were lucky, getting on an ox cart. And if you were even luckier, to get on a ship. And that wasn't necessarily safe either because if it was the wrong time of the season, you might end up getting sunk. And that's why you hear Paul talking about that he spent many times in the deep. Meaning in the ocean waiting for somebody to rescue him. So, I mean, when you're carrying a whole bunch of bucks now, and think about this, this is the Roman Empire. This is not the United States where you've got a, you know, you've got a uh, law enforcement system to guide you. I mean, you're going down the streets and you're carrying money with you and chances are it ain't paper. It's coins. Silver and gold. Guess what? You're a prime target, aren't you? For what? For a problem. Whatever problem that might be. So, he was chosen to accompany the gift. Now, here, here's the principle here. Churches need to be very wise in who they seek to handle their money, shouldn't they? Oftentimes, we'll select people based on, well, they're a businessman or whatever. They know how to handle money, blah, blah, blah. No, no, that's not the criteria. The criterion was, remember, he had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. And so when you select somebody to handle the money in the church, they need to have a good, what? Reputation. They need to have a good reputation. Now, here, let's go on. Concerning the collection. Paul states that it was done so that the integrity of the gift was guarded. Why is it so important that we be wise in who we select to handle our money in the church? He just said it right there. So that the integrity of what is given is guarded. You don't know how many times I've been around Christians over the years and have heard things like this. Well, I quit giving to the church because I don't agree with how they're handling the money. How many of you have heard that kind of statement? Well, you know, then my comment to them is, well, if you don't agree with how they're handling the money, why did you put them in there? Oh, 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 oh. You know, they back up then. 
Because I know in our circle of churches, we elect our leaders, do we not? And when we elect them, we entrust them with what? The responsibility of what? Using those gifts. And see, Paul's saying that you need to what? Pick good people so that what? This was done so that the integrity of the finances there was guarded. It was guarded. See, you see the advice there? See, we're not, you, you thought we were just going to talk about how you should give. No, no. The Bible talks about how you should handle it too. How a church should handle it. And so he's saying there that you need to pick people who are going to guard what? The integrity of the gift. Guard the integrity of the gift. So let's go on then. He then talks about a second unnamed brother, and so he wants to commend the second guy. And so here's what he says. Paul stated that he was sending another brother who has great integrity. So notice again, common factor among these guys that he's choosing to accompany the gift. What is it? Good reputation. What else? Integrity. This is the kind of people he's selecting to handle the money. This is the kind of people that he's selecting to handle the money. Now, here's what he's going to say. He's going to talk about all three of them. Paul and these two, in, uh, excuse me, Titus and these two unnamed brethren. Paul identifies all three brothers as a part of his ministry and as his representatives. Paul identifies all three brothers as a part of his ministry and his representatives. So he's commending them. Then notice the encouragement. Paul wanted them to demonstrate the reputation of love that they had. He wanted them to demonstrate, the Corinthians, a demonstration of their love. They had a reputation for that. So then verses 1 to 5 now, he's going to, we're going to finish up with this. He's going, to, he's going to talk about his impending visit. He's going to talk to them about the fact that he is going to come. So notice verses 1 to 5 of chapter 9. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is super frivolous for me to write you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of the time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Hey, you know what? When you read these five verses, don't you see the heart of a man who loves these people? You say, what do you mean, George? These folks had promised to give. And he's letting them know ahead of time, hey guys, I'm coming to visit you. And I'm going to bring the Macedonians with me. And they were all, all excited because you were going to give. And so when I come, I don't want them to be like, oh, they didn't give anything. So I didn't want you to be embarrassed, nor did I want myself to be embarrassed. I wanted you to be ready for when they came. Isn't that, isn't that the heart of a guy that loves these people? He didn't want them to be shamed. So let's notice a few things here, what he's saying. Paul feels that he doesn't need to write them, write to them about the need. Verse 1, he doesn't need to write to them about the need. They already know the need. 
They already know the need. He doesn't need to keep writing them about the need. They already know. People are starving in Jerusalem, dying. Brothers and sisters in Christ are, are affected by poverty. He says, you already know the need. So then he goes on and says this. Paul points out that they already know about the need and their commitment to meet it. He says, guys, you already know about the need and you already know what? That you made a commitment to do something about it. You already know about it. You already know that you made a commitment to do something about it. So then he says, this is what the purpose of my sending the brethren is. This is my purpose in sending Titus and the two unnamed brothers. This is my purpose, verse 3 and 4. Number one, the brethren were sent to encourage them to fulfill their commitment. They were sent to remind them of what they had already decided to do. They were sent to remind them. To encourage them to fulfill their commitment. To fulfill their commitment. And then verse 4. Here's the heart. He wants to spare them. Paul wants to spare them embarrassment when he comes with the Macedonians. He wants to spare them embarrassment. He wants it to be a time of rejoicing instead of a time of... Oh, excuse me. He is wanting to what? He's showing love to them and he wants them, he want, is wanting them to do the right thing. So then finally, verse 5. Here's his motive. Here's the motive of Paul. Paul wanted to give them the opportunity to give with the right attitude. Hey, I want you to picture this. Let's say they didn't respond to him and then all of a sudden here's the apostle. He comes trucking into town with his entourage from the Macedonian church and he says, guys, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Okay, where's your offering? Oh, you haven't taken it yet. Okay, well, let's go around and pass the plate now so that you can fulfill your commitment. How do you think the Corinthians are going to feel at that point? Is it out of a willing heart that they give or is it out of obligation? Are they going to resent giving at that point? Somebody's going to say, boy, I almost didn't come today. I'm sorry I did. You know? So that's what he's trying to spare them from. Is that obligation thing where they feel like, oh no. Oh no. Okay? Alright. Let's close our time in prayer. Next week, we're going to spend one more week talking about giving, and that is the issue of the reward for generosity. See, there's a reward, Paul is now going to tell us when we look at verses 6 through 15, There is a reward for you and I being generous in our giving towards each other. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, let's close our time of prayer and get ready for the morning.